0: Psalm 24 and get Zechariah 14 Psalm 24 and Zechariah 14 I love the 24th Psalm Some of you have seen the commentaries by John Phillips, uh, the exploring, you know, exploring the Psalms, exploring Matthew. How many of you have seen those commentaries? You know what I'm talking about. I had the chance to preach with him a couple of times before he died, and uh, he actually attended an independent Baptist church, Gospel Light Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina. He had taught at Moody Bible Institute for years and years. He did their New Testament and Old Testament survey courses, and um, just an amazing man of God and he was he was a just a tiny man. he was from England, he had this british accent and i got to I got to hear him. I was sitting right where these guys are, and I got to hear him preach matthew twenty four and it's just one of those things yeah, it's probably available online if you just go to youtube or whatever john phillips matthew twenty four it'd be worth your while to uh, hear him expound this text, and I, every time I read this, i can't help but think about. John Phillips, but look at Matthew chapter 24 and verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world, what am I saying? Forgive me. Psalms 24. I imagine John Phillips did a wonderful job on Matthew 24 as well. I always tell our kids, if I ever do get Alzheimer's, how are we going to know? Look at Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Boy, that's the truth, isn't it? For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who, notice this right here, who shall ascend Into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Selah. Now, does that word Selah tell us anything? If you're a guest with us, I don't have the time to develop it. But anytime you see that word Selah, you know that that these psalms were intended to be sung. And that word Selah is a rest, like a musical rest. But it's not only that. It also describes the millennial rest, that thousand-year reign of Christ. So anytime you see that word Selah, it's dealing with the millennial reign of Christ. Now, let's go on. The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory, Selah. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? Lord, help us as we study your word today. And Lord, what an amazing passage of scripture you have given us to, to break down and to understand. Father, help us to remember how important this is to you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you want to have the things that are important to God important to you? And I don't know about you guys, but this is something I've been praying this week. It's it's a very real thing. Um, Man, I get so distracted by things that I want or things that are going on in my life or administration or home stuff. And God is more important than any of that. And it's interesting how even in the ministry, the trappings of the ministry can get in the way of worship. The, the, the day-to-day grind of everything that needs to be done in ministry, whether it's buildings or meetings or whatever, can get in the way of looking for the return of Jesus Christ. See, there's one day that's important to God. There's one day. And that's the day that Jesus Christ receives his glory. So now get Zechariah chapter 14. I mentioned that to you, and I actually meant that one. Zechariah 14. And get Job 19. Job 19. And when you have Job 19, put your finger in there and we're going to read out of Zechariah 14. All right. So when you have Job 19 and you're ready for Zechariah 14, say amen. All right. Zechariah 14 and verse one, behold, the day of the Lord cometh. And if you'll remember the day of the Lord is the day that God, the father cares about. It's the day that his son will receive glory on the earth. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And if you were not here last week, you need to get the recording of that because there's some amazing things from the scriptures about the Lord fighting. Now, here's where we are today, verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south." And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. Now, when we look at that text, and, and keep your ribbon there, go to Job chapter 19. As you turn to Job, I'm going to read verse 4 again from Zechariah 14. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Look at Job chapter 19 and verse 25. I think you all know this verse. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you are thankful? Now remember, this is the oldest book in the Bible. Job knew then that his Redeemer lives, and we know today that our Redeemer lives. But notice what the rest of the verse says. And he, and that, he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. It is amazing how many familiar passages in the Scripture point to that day. Understand that that day is being referenced in the oldest book. Of the Bible. This is important to God. It needs to be important to us. So go ahead and give me my slide here now, Michael, and I want you to see something. So, this, of course, is Israel. That is the, the Mosque of Omar, the Dome of, Dome of the Rock. And um, when this was built, it was built to honor uh, this man's bride. But scholars tell us that that's where the temple is going to stand. I took that picture almost 10 years ago from the Mount of Olives. So when you stand at the top of the Mount of Olives and you look toward Jerusalem, you look toward the Holy City, this is what you see. I want us to focus for a few minutes on this Mount of Olives. And I'm going to show you some more pictures as we go through this. But I want you to understand the significance of this spot in the plan of God. look with me, Um, we're, we're done in Job, keep your marker in Zechariah 14 and go with me to Matthew chapter 24. Some of you could have just stayed there, right? Those of you who have been trained in education and in the way people learn. You know what's going on with me in those times. You know, I've got that severe ADD. And so at times like that, I'll bet you I've got 15 different things going on in my mind when I'm trying to tell you one thing. And often the wrong thing comes out. And so when you see me doing that, just pray for me because you know that my brain's going like this. Okay, picture the gerbil on the little thing. That's my brain. All right, look at Matthew chapter 24 and verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Now that always just makes me laugh. What, what are, why are they showing him that? And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the, what does it say there? The disciples came into him privately. So probably nothing that you're looking at right here in this picture was there when Jesus Christ was sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. But that's the view. That's one of the amazing things about being there. When you get these Bible accounts in your mind and you think, this is where this happened. This is what they were looking at when this happened. The Mount of Olives is such an interesting place in the scriptures. Uh, this, this is where, here, I'll, I'll show you. So when you look down from the Mount of Olives, this is, you, you'll come down, you'll walk down, uh, it's, it's a very steep slope. It's about a 2,700 foot high mountain. So and as, you're, as you're coming down, this is what you see, these gardens And this is where the Garden of Gethsemane is. It's in that location. Now, that wall that you see up at the top, when you think of the walls of Jerusalem, that's actually, those are crusader walls. Those are not the walls that were there. The walls that were there were destroyed by Rome, 70 AD. So these are crusader walls that were built during the Crusades. Um, Then when you look here, As you come down. Do you remember the Jesus saying you are whited sepulchres full of dead men's bones? Have you heard that passage? That's what these are. They're whited sepulchres. What do you think they're full of? Dead men's bones. So what they do is they put the body in one of those boxes, and then so that's the size of a typical coffin. And then the bodies desiccate and they turn into bones. But remember, these are family boxes. So once that body desiccates, they take those bones out and they put the bones in an ossuary. An ossuary is I actually saw some ossuaries in a crypt walking down the Mount of Olives. I've got pictures of it, but not in my presentation. An ossuary is only about that big, about that big. All the bones go in there. And remember, they have found the ossuary of James, Jesus' brother. How cool is that? historical figure, but it was, it was here. And, uh, let me see if I can get this good. It'll move now. This is some more views from that, but, um, I stopped part way down and these are the trees that are growing, that the thorns grow on, that they made into a crown and beat into Jesus head when you hear about Jesus Christ returning, the passage that we're looking at, where he returns, his feet stand a gown on the Mount of Olives. The first time he came, he did this for Jerusalem and for the whole world. And I just, it was so interesting to me. I was standing there and I was looking at, at Jerusalem and these thorns were kind of in my way. And I thought that would be a good picture to show what Jesus Christ did for us. But when you get down to the bottom of the Mount of Olives, uh, that's actually the Temple Mount there. But if you look here, this area, so as you look at it to the right of that church building, that's where the Garden of Gethsemane is. So the Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. So when Jesus Christ does the Olivet Discourse and he teaches about all of the things that we have learned about the rapture and tribulation and all of those things, Jesus taught that from the Mount of Olives. When he prayed in the garden before his crucifixion, that was on the Mount of Olives. This is where he went right after the Last Supper to pray. Um, when you remember Acts chapter 1, let's look at it, Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 10, or verse 9, Acts 1 and verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand, you gazing up in, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Um, you know, what would your answer be? Why do you think? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem. Where did this take place? From the mount called Olivet. When Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he was standing on his feet and he's going to come back in like manner. And as Job said, And his feet shall stand on the earth. And as Zechariah chapter 14 says, his feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives. And it's amazing to see what happens. Now, I want you to see something that's interesting, not that. So do you see that right there? You see that gate? That's the eastern gate called the golden gate. You notice it's all bricked up. You know why? Nobody wants him to come through it. No one wants him to come through it. As a matter of fact, you can see what they've done is on that side, closest to the gate, I said on that side, I'm pointing to my screen as if you can see it. So when you look closest to the gate there, that's another cemetery. That's a Muslim cemetery. So you have on one side of the Kidron Valley, you have a Jewish cemetery. On the other side, you have a Muslim cemetery. The Muslim cemetery was placed there because they were taught that Jesus was a Nazarite. And as a Nazarite, he couldn't touch a dead body. And so they planted a bunch of uh, dead bodies in his way. It's not going to work. See, they just needed to read Zechariah chapter fourteen, and what's so interesting? This Golden Gate or this Eastern Gate is so significant in Israel that you know the Palestinian Authority controls the the Temple Mount, and of course you know that there's a there's a clash between the Palestinians and and, and understand there's so much more to that than just Muslim versus uh, Jew. You know there are Palestinians that lived in that area that were Christians. And they just feel like they were exiled from their own place, right? So there's more to it than a lot of people understand in the geopolitics of it all. Are you all with me on that? Uh, You'd be amazed at how many, and, and they're becoming less and less because of the persecution, but you'd be amazed at how many Arab Christians there are in that region. So always be aware when we discuss this topic of Israel and who owns the land and all of that, the people who were living there when all of the, this stuff happened in 1948, there's some resentment that's there, right? Y'all, you all with me on that? They love people and be kind to people. But the Palestinian Authority is different. The Palestinian Authority is a terrorist organization. It was started by Yasser Arafat, and uh, they're, they're, I, I'm not going to go into the whole history of it, but the Palestinian Authority is a bad group of people. And this is the way they treat the Temple Mount. This is, this is I took this picture. This is on the Temple Mount. Just piles of garbage. And what see, the, the Palestinian Authority wants to prove that the Jews were never there. There's no such thing as King David, all of those kinds of things. So they dig and they find artifacts and they destroy the artifacts. It's a real, it's a real issue that they're dealing with. Now, I want you to see this. This is a picture from the Eastern Gate, from the top of the Eastern Gate, looking back toward the Mount of Olives. And I was able to take that picture, these pictures. This is me up on the top of the eastern gate. And I don't know if you'll know this. You're not supposed to go up on the eastern gate. Um, That thing behind me right there on the right, that's a guard shack. And they usually, the the Palestinian Authority usually has guards because you're not allowed to go up on top of the eastern gate. And uh, he must have been on a break or something. We saw there was nobody there, so my friend... Jay Ross and I, we ran up and we got pictures of ourselves sticking our heads out, looking out through the eastern gate and doing all of those things. But uh, just amazing to have that opportunity. But what I want you to see, this is what it looks like from the top of the eastern gate, looking out toward the Mount of Olives, 2,700 feet up. You know, when you go to the Smokies, those mountains aren't much higher than that. I mean, this is a pretty significant elevation that's tough to, uh, it's tough to see from there or from this perspective, but go back with me to Zechariah chapter 14. And I want you to see what it says in verse four and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the East and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the East and toward the west and there shall be a great valley and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. So you got to picture this. So when you look at that, imagine, so you see the building where, you know, I mentioned um, the garden of Gethsemane. And of course the garden would have been much bigger when Christ was there. It's a pretty small area now. But when you look at that, and you look up toward, you can see that steeple all the way up at the top. Now, I'm not sure if if you look all the way to the left. Actually, I forgot I can zoom this a little bit. So up here, this is where uh, I would have taken those pictures from. This is the, the highest spot of the Mount of Olives. And so I wonder if that's the spot where it all took place. And when you look at your picture here... If from that spot that's where it's all going to split, and think about this when Jesus returns, look at uh, look at Isaiah chapter thirty one The other thing to think about is when that mountain splits and that valley is brought up. And it's all cleared out and it's made level. That's it's the, it's the highway of the king. When Jesus Christ walks on that, it's all level. And it's all done supernaturally. Those graves will not be in the way. It's just such an amazing thing when you look at the Bible and the, and the words of it. So look at Isaiah chapter 31. Look at verse 5. As birds flying... So will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem, defending also, he will deliver it, and and passing over, he will preserve it. So look, look at the way it says it at the beginning of the verse. As birds flying. So imagine Jesus Christ coming back on that white horse, according to Revelation chapter 19. And we're flying right behind him on these horses. Amen. So start practicing. We're flying behind them on these horses, and we're flying down those mountains. And then go to Isaiah chapter 61. I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 64. Man, some of you folks that are older, and the idea of getting up on a horse anymore scares you to death, you're going to have a new body. You're not going to have to worry about it. Amen? It's fantastic. Isaiah chapter 64. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains, look at this, might flow down at thy presence. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things, which we looked not for, Thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. Isn't that an amazing passage of Scripture? The mountains flow down at his presence. Now, look at Micah. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Micah. Oh, sorry, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Blew that one, didn't I, kids? Micah chapter 1. You young people, one of the best things you can do is memorize the books of the Bible. In their order, it'll help you a lot. Micah chapter 1. Do it while you're young, trust me. Look at verse 3. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place, and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains shall be molten under him. Do you see how um, Isaiah and Micah agree on this? That that molten, the mountains flowing down. The mountains flowing down. Um, Verse 4, And the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and the waters that are poured down a steep place. So this is, this is the picture of that. And I'm going to show you something really amazing. Go to Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel chapter 11. Now, you all remember that God had pronounced judgment on Israel. And remember, he wrote Ichabod over the door of the temple. And that name Ichabod, it's not from the headless horseman. Okay? The name Ichabod, I actually I actually visited Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. There's an old Baptist preacher named Thomas Armitage. He's buried in the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery in New York. Isn't that fun? That's cool. And Ichabod was not there. So when God wrote Ichabod, Stacy, was that an ADD moment right there? It was, wasn't it? When when God wrote Ichabod over the door of the temple. What that meant is, it's being translated in the scriptures, is the glory is departed. The glory is departed. So here in Ezekiel chapter 11, it's, it's, it's that account. It explains what happened. Look at verse 22. Then did the cherubims lift up their wings and the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them above. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. When, the, when God left the temple, and his, remember, his, his glory would, 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 would be in presence above the mercy seat in the temple, in the holiest of all, and the blood would be sprinkled there. And God would receive that sacrifice when God said by judgment, when God was judging them and his glory was leaving, he left from a very specific place. That mountain that's on the east side of the city. Do you know what we call that? The Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives. That's where he took off. That's where God's glory took off. And now go to John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. So now, the glory of God left from Israel from the Mount of Olives. Jesus Christ came back and taught his disciples, and he explained what was going to happen in the future from the Mount of Olives. Then he went to the upper room and he told his his men what was going to happen. He sent Judas off to betray him. And then he left the upper room and went to the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he took his disciples. He walked with them for 40 days and he, he, he was with them. And then he took them to the top of the Mount of Olives and said, And ye shall be witnesses unto me after the Holy Ghost. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Uh, And you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses of me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. From that spot, he ascended into heaven. And from that spot, he's coming back. This same Jesus shall come in like manner as you have seen him go. And he's going to land on that Mount of Olives. And it's going to be divided in two. And he's going to walk into that city. Now go back to Zechariah 14 and I want you to see something. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you do that, sorry. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 43. All right, Ezekiel chapter 43, look at verse 1. Afterward, he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh toward the east. See what I've got up on your screen? And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. So now this is, remember, Ezekiel got to write about the glory leaving the temple. God is also allowing Ezekiel to prophesy about his return. So remember, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10.32, Give none offense, neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentile, nor to the church of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentile, nor to the church of God. So there are three people groups that are addressed in Scripture, the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. And God was so interested that we all understand what's coming in the latter days that he wrote a book for each of those people. The book of Ezekiel gives the end times for the Jews. The book of Daniel gives the end times for the Gentiles. He even had a Gentile king write an entire chapter of the book of Daniel. And then for the church, he gave us the book of Revelation. And when you take Ezekiel, Daniel, Revelation and tie it all together, you have a perfect picture of God's information for the entire world and all the people in it about what's going to happen in the latter days, what's going to happen in the end times. God wants us to know every bit of that, and he's given us three different accounts, and then he's made it the theme of the Bible. It's so important that we do that. Now, go back with me to Zechariah chapter 14. Isn't this fun? It's just... And sometimes you can think, Pastor, man, we know that he's coming back. But every time we study a new passage, there's another layer of information. Because remember, this is the most important day for him. This is the theme of the Bible. So verse 4 again, Zechariah 14 and verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley... Half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And so east to west, you're going to have a straight street that Jesus Christ can return through. Now, I want you to notice what happens when his feet touch the ground. The Bible mentions some things that are pretty interesting. Look with me at the book of Psalms, the 68th Psalm. Let's start reading in 1, verse 1. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Now, don't forget, you've got God the Father seated on his throne. God the Son seated at his right hand. He's seated there making intercession for the saints. But one of these days, and we know it's at least seven years from now, He's going to get up. Let God arise. Notice what he says. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Can I stop right there for just a second? Here's a test for you. These these passages are a test for you. Here's my question. Are you more merciful than God? Because what happens, and, you know, there are people that read these passages and they, are, they actually turn away from God because he is coming back in righteous judgment. And the thing that we have to remember, now, it, now let's be honest. This is no trick question. It's very sad what happens to those people. Would you all agree with that? But God does it with a smile on his face. Because he loves righteousness. Most of the time, when you see me do these things where I stop, I move away from my message and I stop and make some comments. Here's what's going on in my mind. I'm answering questions that I have. So as a teacher, I try, to, I try to imagine what questions could my audience have, my hearers have, as I teach something. And sometimes I am uh, imagining how other people would question. This comes up in me. Every time I read something like that, I kind of cringe a little bit. I kinda, and, and I have to remember I have to remember, the reason I cringe a little bit about that, listen, so important, it's because I don't hate sin as much as God does. Boy, he hates it. Now, I'll say this, when a young person, and I'm not pointing at young people as if you have messed up, if it does happen, I hate sin so much more. You know, when you see someone's marriage destroyed, you see their life destroyed, you see something horrible happen. Man, I hate sin so much more. And that comment always comes to my mind when I'm dealing with something like this. Man, I hate sin. But I have to be reminded of that when Jesus Christ is coming back. And you see the judgment that he's making because, man, he hates sin. And why does he hate sin? Because it violates his righteousness and because he loves us. And he knows what sin does. Let's go back to our text. We're back in Psalm 68. Verse (laughs) 3. Read that out loud. Just that first phrase. I'm actually going to a verse farther down. And so in prep for my sermon, I hadn't read that verse. So everything that I just said, I should have just read the verse. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. O God, when thou wentest forth before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness, Selah. Now notice what happens. Look at verse 8. The earth shook. The heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Now, we know that in uh, Isaiah chapter 6 that it all trembles when God speaks. I don't think that's what's being spoken of here. When Jesus Christ sets his foot on the Mount of Olives... The Bible describes this great earthquake. Stars fall. We'll see in a minute that, that there's that there's darkness. It's 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 the 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 entire world system has changed. But can you imagine when he sets that foot for the first time on the Mount of Olives? Even Mount Sinai shakes. Mount Sinai is hundreds of miles away in Egypt. Hundreds of miles away. When Jesus Christ returns, everything is going to change. Amen? And let the righteous be glad. Lord, thank you for your return. Thank you for your coming. Lord, help us to pray for it. Lord, you told the disciples through Christ to pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven.